the year was 1983. Many of you remember that year, right? The year was 1983. The temperature on the field uh, where commencement was held was at least 140 degrees, right? I, I'm a preacher. I exaggerate from time to time. Right? 140 degrees. It felt like 140 degrees. I remember being really happy that I wasn't the one playing pomp and circumstance, right? Because in my undergraduate years, as part of the band, we'd have to play pomp and circumstance over and over and over again for graduates. And to be honest, when I finally got to walk, I think I walked a little bit slower just so that the underclassmen would have to play it a little longer, right? Uh, pomp and circumstance along the way. It's an amazing day, though, right? Great accomplishments. We honor these graduates. We think of that. Uh, for, for me, I was very excited about what God had done in my life. I was very privileged, very blessed um, as a young man to have the education, uh, the background, and the opportunities that I had. And it was a day in which I would reflect on those things, but it was also a day thinking forward, right? What was Geneva College going to be like for this young whippersnapper? What was the future going to hold for me, and in fact, by virtue of thinking about that future, there may have been a little fear, right? Just a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety with regard to where I go. I had a lot to be thankful for, many respects on top of the world, but if I was honest, there was a whole lot of things that I knew I didn't know. I don't know, maybe this morning we honor graduates. Do you remember back in the Stone Ages your graduation from high school? Right? Do you remember that day? Or, or maybe it's a graduation from college or university or a, another degree that you've got. Maybe it was a, a job change. Maybe it was a town change. Maybe it was a church change. Remember these junctures in your life that were huge? Maybe some of you are even sitting in some of those junctures now, right? Where you reflect on the past and say, man, I, I'm thinking about all the really good things that have happened. And, and I'm focused on the future and the things that are yet before me. And if I was honest, I'm just a little bit scared about where it is that I'm going. With me? I, I think it's where the disciples were in the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. Forty days they walked after knowing that Jesus had risen from the dead before he would ascend into heaven. Reflecting, highly reflective on the three years that just happened, right? <laughs> Imagine that, walking with Jesus, seeing what you've seen, being reflective on the things that you've experienced uh, in, in, in walking this journey with Jesus. Maybe mostly is this whole resurrection thing, like think of the roller coaster you've just been on, he died, Buried, but now is risen from the dead, and he's kind of like hanging out with us, eating fish on the beach again. Crazy, right? Highly reflective on the things that have happened. Uh, focused a bit on the future. Like, he keeps talking about this Holy Spirit thing, right? And, and, and as good old church folks, the Holy Spirit kind of rolls off our tongues, maybe not as good as Presbyterians as Pentecostals, but the reality of. Come on, baby. Right, so, so, the, 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 re the reality is, though, that the, but I want you to think about being a disciple and hearing about a Holy Spirit that's coming to empower you, right? John 14 through 16, he keeps saying, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm sending one. And, and it's the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's reflecting, they're reflecting on the past and all that God's done. All that they've done in light of Jesus, and yet they're focused on this promise that Jesus has given them. Is always good. And I'll tell you what, they've got to be scared 
confused at, as to how this whole thing works out. Well, it's at that point, right, that we jump into when we pick up the biblical journey as we approach the book of Acts. And if you're just joining us this morning, you've come in a good time. We're starting a new series in the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 8 from now till Christmas. And, and there's this guy named Luke who invites a guy named Theophilus into an amazing journey, a journey that had happened probably about 40 years or so before they wrote it, or he wrote it. And Luke shares it with Theophilus. Get this, because here's the point this morning. Luke shares it with Theophilus in order that he might see the power of God as still being very much alive. Very much alive. And it was time for this Theophilus to seize the day and to seize the calling that he has on his life as well. That's what we pick up in Acts chapter 1. You ready? Glad. That's an overwhelming readiness. I can... <laughs> Thank you. So we're ready. Turn this morning to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you've got your Bible this morning, your electronic device, whatever it is that you follow along, I'll believe if you're on your device that you're actually looking at the scriptures, right? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to remember one of the things I'm going to keep reminding you as we head into the series. One important thing as we read the thing today is to know that this is not a study about the book of Acts. This is an invitation to a journey to be an Acts church. Right? We're not just thinking about some intellectual ascent to what happened a number of years ago. But we're responding to an invitation to be an Acts church. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And this is the very word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John, he baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know these things, these times or seasons, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And then we come to verse 8, which you've now all memorized, right? I know it's only been a week, but you've been working on it. You have it on your mirror, and you're testing each other. You're making your spouse repeat it. Uh, but I'll give you one more break. I I'll go. Here's our wedding vow thing again, right? I'll go a little bit of time. You repeat it for me, because this is the one that we're going to memorize in the next six months. One verse in six months. My granddaughter can do that at four. You can do it as well, right? All right, here you go. But you will receive... You power, power when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has, come upon you. has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses in, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in all Judea in Samaria, in Samaria and, to the end of the earth. and to the end of the earth. Very good. And when he had said these things, catch this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God help us in the understanding of his word. Three points this morning. Uh, first, I want to look at some history, that there's some history that we need to, to gather uh, in verses uh, one through three. Um, and then uh, we're going to look at some heightened confusion that happens in this story from verses four through nine. And then uh, 10 and 11, we're going to look at a really healthy question, uh, which really becomes the application of this text. You ready? So first, uh, look at the history that we have in verses one through three. As we begin the book of Acts, there are a number of obvious questions to ask. I hope you see them as you read through there. In fact, in the very first phrase, he says, in the first book. Now, if you're a good Bible reader, right? What's a question that comes to mind? What's the first book? How, what, how is that a good way to start a, a book, right? In the first book. What in the world's the first book? Anybody ask a question? Some of you know the answer. Nobody asked that question. All right, so, so uh, you should be asking that, but you read in the first book, you should be going, well, what in the world is the first book? Well, the, the author gives us some hints here. He says, um, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So where he's referring to is a book that talks about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Bible scholars that you are, Right? In all of biblical history, where would you find a book, which is the first book, that talks about all that Jesus began to do and teach? The Gospels, right? Oh man, so we just took all the books of the Bible and narrowed them down to four to be the first book. So it's either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, right? You with me? Alright, so you're asking good questions. What's the first book? It's either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's the story of Jesus. Well then, how do we know which one it is? Well, because there's this common recipient, right? It says here in Luke that it's Theophilus who gets it. So maybe we should go back to the Gospels to find out if there is one of those Gospels that Theophilus gets. Now, you good Bible scholars that know, tell me, which of the Gospels it is Luke, right? So Luke and the Gospel, or Luke and Acts, are really written as one book that in your Bible have been divided into two books. So uh, you don't have to turn there. I think it will be on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, here it is, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So good work. Good work, Bible scholars. Here we go. We now know who, what the first book is. It's Luke. We know who is receiving this history, Theophilus, and we even now know who wrote it, right? Because who wrote Luke? Really hard question. Luke did, right? That, that's good. So as we start new books, often I ask you, who wrote it? And the answer is Luke. Who did he write it to? Theophilus. And, and here's the deal. Why did he write it? I introduced this to you uh, last week, but I'll remind you that he might seize the day. There's 
who wrote it, Luke did. To whom Theophilus? Why did he write it? In order that Theophilus might seize the day. But how helpful is all that information without knowing who these people are, right? Well, let me add some weight to the reality of this story by introducing you to some people, some friends of mine. First is Luke. Luke is told, we're told, that is someone who traveled pretty extensively with the Apostle Paul. In fact, later in Acts, you'll have believe verses, right, where he talks about his time with Paul. Luke is probably a physician, but even more someone who loved the history of the journey of Jesus. And as a Gentile, so not a Jew, not someone who'd grown up in synagogue after the, uh, the, the preaching and teaching of the Old Testament, but a, a Gentile who has come to faith, uh, Luke wanted to be an ambassador for sharing that journey of Jesus with other Gentiles. That's who Luke is, right? So that's why he writes, who is Theophilus? Not as many details about who Theophilus is, but we know he was an important dude, right? Why do we know he's an important dude? Because in Luke, he's most excellent Theophilus. By the way, if you want to start calling me most excellent Pastor Rayo, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Uh, so, so most excellent Pastor this is a guy with some power, he has some authority, and he probably has some resources, right? That's who he is writing to. He's also probably someone who is very early on in his journey with Jesus. Someone that maybe Luke has shared the gospel with who has been converted, who the Holy Spirit has fallen upon, opened his heart to understanding the reality of the gospel. And Theophilus is early on in his faith. Now some of you are asking, oh, this is a lot of information that I didn't need to know. Like why is this important to know this whole deal? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, the reality is that it adds a bit of weight to why this story is being told in the way that it is. We are told in Luke 1, that the gospel, and we can assume the book of Acts, is written that we might have, get this, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. You see, in the day that this book would have been written, and this story would have been told, the world was already filled with people who had already greatly distorted the story of Jesus. Maybe especially among Gentiles. So Jesus was this other dude. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stories. Imagine, I mean, even think 40 years from now, all the distortions to COVID-19 that will be told, right? And so the reality is, is this story has been told and told, but now in different ways, people hear it different ways, and all of a sudden the story of Jesus is distorted. So what does Luke do? He's going, listen, I interviewed the Virgin Mary, right? The mother of Jesus. I interviewed, I hung out with the disciples. I hung out with Paul. I hung out with these people, and I'm a historian that loves to do research, and I found out all kinds of things. And the story I have, I know, is the right story. So Theophilus, listen to this story. Not only of the gospel, but of the early church. And so it is for us. I mean, how amazing is it to read someone who has talked to Mary about the birth of Jesus, to have spent time with the disciples to get first-hand accounts of the life of walking with Jesus in the early days of the church. And, and even to hear from someone who has experienced days with Paul on his missionary journeys. It's a great help to us, listen, to be certain of the things that we have been taught. That's why Luke writes. To know that even today, the power of Jesus is still very much alive. And the challenge is still offered to seize this day in which we live for his glory. 
Listen, parenthetical, it's also a really good reason to invite your not yet believing friends to church on Sunday from now till November or any day for that matter. This story is crazy, right? And I hope those of you who have heard it a million times will understand how crazy it is in these early chapters of Acts. But you want to know somebody who really will think it's crazy? Your unbelieving neighbor. And they'll see the power of God and know that it is very much alive and be challenged to seize this day. So maybe it's a good time to invite Cousin Harry or neighbor Joe, right, to church. Parenthetical. The first three verses connect us to history and invites us into the journey that Luke and Theophilus are on, reflecting on the past and focused on the future. Then in verses 4 through 9, it introduces us to the heightened confusion of the disciples in the days between the resurrection and the ascension. It is as if in verse 4 we enter into the story. The journey that the disciples are taking in the 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection, before the ascension. And I think that the key thought here is, this should encourage you, that the disciples are still greatly confused. I mean, they've been walking with Jesus for three years. They've been listening to him, teaching him, watching him, doing miracles. And yet they get to this point and they're going, I'm not sure we still get it. And actually in this text we'll see that they really don't. That should be encouraging to you. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 42 years. And you're still confused at times, right? Be encouraged. The disciples had Jesus at their disposal, and they're still confused. Luke points back to a conversation that Jesus probably had in verse 4 with his disciples the night before he died. So after the Last Supper, before his arrest, and it is a conversation centered on the fact that they would receive power from this Holy Spirit. A conversation found mostly in John chapter 14 through 16. You can check that out on your own. It would be a conversation piece that the disciples would have among themselves many times. I am sure in the uncertain times around the crucifixion, and then with Jesus after his resurrection, they were talking about this Holy Spirit. But no matter how much they talked about it, the disciples still did not seem to get it. This leads to a final conversation between the disciples and Jesus in verses 6 through 8. So, I want you to hear... The disciples' collective wisdom, right? They kind of got together and said, okay, I think we've got this figured out. But let's ask Jesus just to make sure. So here they are gathering with Jesus in this final conversation, and here's their collective conclusion. So this Holy Spirit thing is the plan that you have, Jesus, to overcome the Roman government and restore Israel to its rightful place. Right? Right? You, you hear them there? Now, we've got to chuckle at that, because, why? Because they've had the same conclusion several times. The same conversation with Jesus several times. And Jesus just shakes his head and chuckles and goes, No, that's really not for you to know. It's not time for you to know. And you do it. But here they are, the most pivotal time, right? Here they're gathered with Jesus after the resurrection, and you're going, This must be it! This is the time, though, that Holy Spirit thing is going to come, and we're going to beat those guys finally! Like, they're focused, they're fixated, they're obsessed with a political overthrow. This must be what he's going to do. John Calvin has said, wisely, there are as many problems in this verse as there are words. <laughs> it is a people that are confused. 
how does Jesus respond? Listen, if I'm Jesus, you know, like, you guys are going to leave me. Knuckleheads. But Jesus is much more kind. He's much more patient. And he simply says, you know, that whole overthrow thing is not for you to know. But, and I always like to point out big butts in the Bible, right? This is, this is a big but, right? That's not for you to know. But, verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, I'm not telling you that you can't be, I'm telling you that you will be witnesses of mine in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Listen, you don't need to worry about that overthrow thing. But I'm telling you what's going to happen. In fact, Jesus is saying to them, don't worry about the political overthrow. Because what I'm going to do through you is a spiritual overthrow that people will be talking about for decades, centuries, millennia to come. Disciples, you think you need to be king now. But I'm telling you, I'm king. And I'm going to make you my witnesses. Then verse 9. You ready for this? It says that as soon as he says this, a big old cloud comes. Which, which in the scriptures is the presence of God. A big old cloud comes and, and, and swoops him up and takes him out of sight. Woo! Like, just like that. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, no, he's gone. Right? Can, I mean, can, can you begin to imagine? Can you feel the emotion of that moment? It's important it is, there are not many details offered here, but, but get this, the disciples come to a collective consensus, right, to ask Jesus an important question. And Jesus says, ah, you don't need to know the answer to that question, but I'm going to use you to change the world. And then a big cloud comes, he disappears, and they're going, Some of you can feel the emotion of that. You know why? Because some of you have experienced the emotion of that. You know those times in your life when you really needed Jesus to get on board with what you thought he should do? You can hear that, right? When you really thought Jesus needed to get on board with what you thought he should do? And, and then you said, yeah, I ain't going to do that because you just don't understand. But... I'm going to use you in it to change the world. And then he seemingly goes silent. Whoop! Well, I'll give, I'll give you a few examples, right? Someone very close to you gets really sick. And you're determined that Jesus is going to make them better. And then they die. And Jesus says, listen, what you wanted is not what you got, but I'm here. And in this opportunity, I'm going to change the world. And then he seemingly goes silent. Been there? I mean, there was a job that you thought, man, this is the job for me. Right? This is the deal. And then I am the best person suited for this job, no doubt. Interviews have gone really well. Here it is. I'm the guy. And you get the sorry you didn't get it letter. And yet God is saying, man, but I got you. I know something greater for you. 
but then he seemingly goes silent. How about some of you that have had the year and a half of your life with the person that you thought is the person for you, right? God is like blessing this relationship, and you're going, God, keep blessing this relationship because I, I want to marry this girl, right? And then she dumps you. And everything that you dreamed of is not coming true. And Jesus then sort of goes, you've been in these places of emotion, right? Where you think that God is doing what you think he's going to do, and then he doesn't do it, and then he empowers you through it, even as he seemingly goes silent. You can feel the position of the disciples in verse 10, left gazing into heaven. It is as if the cloud has come, and you are just waiting for the cloud to lift so that you might see Jesus once again to get some clarity on what the heck is going on. It's a place of heightened confusion. In the journey of the disciples, it was certainly in the top ten moments with Jesus, but it was certainly in the top ten moments with Jesus that has left them confused. But they are not left alone. You see that in the text? What did they see as the cloud lifted? Two guys dressed in white robes. Angels. And they asked a really healthy question. So here's point three. A really healthy question to the disciples. It's our last point. Here's the question. Men of Galilee, why in the world are you standing there looking into heaven? Why are you standing there looking at them? Now, first of all, my first reaction is I want to defend the disciples, right? Dude, angel, with all due respect, listen, we have this conclusion. The conclusion was wrong. He told us we we're going to change the world, and then he disappears. Like, without guide wires, like all reenactments, he just went right up and down the big old butt. Boom, just went. And, and so, like, we're standing, like, you, if you were, you'd be standing gazing at heaven as well, right? So, so the angels follow that up with, well, listen, we want to tell you good news. He's coming back just as he left. Now, it doesn't tell us this. This is where my imagination runs wild. But I'm thinking what the disciples say is, super, I'll, I'll have a seat here and wait for that. Right? I can't, can't wait to see that coming back thing, right? Yeah, that's going to happen any moment now, right? <laughs> but you know what the angels say to him? Listen, it, it's not about... It's not about standing and staring or sitting and waiting. The healthy question comes to inspire you to go prepare for kingdom work. To seize the day. Even in all your confusion. And it's not any different today. It's still a healthy question for the church. People of Covenant Church, why do you stand looking into heaven? Or are you just sitting around waiting for his return? Let me clarify. Standing in awe of Jesus? So in, in the context of the story, the whoop of ascension, right? Uh, relevant to us, the idea of spending time in the worship of God, in the study of who Jesus is, that's good. I'm not just claiming that. I'm not telling you you shouldn't do that. Please hear me, right? That, that idea of worship, of standing with your 
eyes fixed to the heavens, with your hands raised to the heavens, and worship your God, the study of His Word to know better, gazing into the Bible, that He might that, that's all good. It's not my intent to discourage you from worshiping spiritual growth, nor listen, is it my intent to discourage you from thinking about Jesus' return. Quite frankly, it's fun to think about. Book of Revelation is a hoot, right? It's good stuff. It's good to think about eternity with God. And sometimes in the midst of confusion, it's comforting to think about spending eternity with God. So I'm not down in either of those things. But listen to this. Hear the angels. This is what they're saying. If we are so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good, can I say something with biblical confidence this morning? Jesus loves your worship. He loves your attention to the Word. He loves the milestones of understanding that you have had in your life. He, he, he loves that about you, but He's not made us to be heaven gazers. He's made us to be world changers. He has given us every insight into who He is, so that we might bottle it all up and just kind of explode. No, 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 no. Listen. He has given us every insight into who he is that we might share. That we might overflow in it. He has loved us that we might love others. He has forgiven us that we might forgive others. He has shown us mercy that we might be merciful. He has shown us and revealed to us truth that we might share it with someone who needs it. Get it? Right? So be a heaven gazer, but be a world changer. Know what he's done for you, but in it, do likewise for the people around you. He has given us, it says in verse 8, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be what? Witnesses. That's what we were made to be. When the angels told the disciples that Jesus was coming back just as he left, it was not for them to spend their lives sitting in a pew waiting for his return, but rather it is, is, is it as if the angels were asking another healthy question. And here's the healthy question. What will you be doing when Jesus returns? Sitting and waiting? Heaven gazing? Or will you be about the work of his kingdom when you seize this day? We will have some fun over the next six months seeing how that impacted the disciples. This little segment, how it changed their lives starting next week. But my hope is that at the same time, we will see our worlds change as well. This is why Luke wrote Theophilus as a new believer and said, now is your time. This is the day. Seize it. Let's journey together and change the world. Let me ask you another graduation question as we close. Anyone remember what the commencement speaker said at your graduation? <laughs> you, you poor graduates in 2020, you haven't had the privilege of even having a real commencement, but I, some of you, I, I'm, I'm doubting, remember the reality of anything that the commencement speaker said. It's often like when I know when I preach a wedding sermon, no, nobody's listening, and they just there, so it's just got to be married, right? So, so the reality is, is that we, we don't listen to the commencement. I do remember when I graduated from Geneva College that Chuck Colson gave the commencement address. 
Really cool. I have no idea what he said, but I know it was there. Right? together cease this day for his glory. Let's pray together.